father. It's interesting because though we celebrate fathers, what I also realize is that uh, the issue of fathers doesn't always stir in us uh, good feelings. I have in my own story some wounds that come from an absent father. I know many of you do, and, and uh, fatherlessness is a huge issue. And uh, though we don't want to take away from Father's Day and celebrating those that are in our midst that are great fathers, and many of you have great fathers, what I'm also aware of is that fathers, actually, the role of fatherhood is a place where we see the need for God to send a Savior, because there is... Uh, no perfect father. And so here we gather thinking carefully about God's word, believing that the heavenly father has what we need for life and for godliness, for a sense of peace and purpose. And so open up your Bibles to the book of 1 John. We're going to be in chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 this morning, as I've already mentioned. And if you're new here, we have quite a few guests. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, We are this summer just walking through 1 John. So this is a letter by the apostle John, somebody who walked with Jesus. And what he is doing is he's talking about what it looks like to live a better life. And living a better life means that you're walking in the light, and God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, is what he says. We saw last week that walking in the light is revealed in our lives if we're inclined to love one another. And today what we're going to see is that when we're walking in the light, that we will choose to reject worldliness. Look to your neighbor and say, reject worldliness. <laughs> it's a funny thing to say to your neighbor. So if that felt awkward, it's okay. So here's the main idea for this morning. A better life requires us to reject worldliness, choosing instead to fully love God. Listen again. A better life requires us to reject worldliness, choosing instead to fully love God. I want you to hear something this morning, that there is a competition in this world for your love. There is a competition in this world for your love. And whatever wins your love will get your resources, your time, your money, your energy. So there's a very real competition in this world for your love. And John talks about that. He says in verse 15, do not love the world or the things of the world. Now, John uses the term world, translated from the Greek word cosmos, 22 times in his letter, which is the only reason I would tell you that the Greek word is cosmos, because he uses it 22 times in his letter, which means it's significant to think about, well, what does it mean, this language of the world? I mean, you're hearing me say, do not love the world, but it sounds funny, because if you remember John chapter 3, verse 16, same guy wrote, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? So what in the world is he talking about here when he says, do not love the world? Where What he's saying is, is the world in the sense of, it's this system that exists that excludes God. It's the nature of things that is inclined to reject God. So when he says, do not love the world, he's not talking about the people in the world. He's talking about the way of thinking or the nature of things or a worldview that excludes God or doesn't prioritize God and what he wants for our lives. He says, do not love the things of this world. So there's five things I want to say. I want to make these very quick 
and very pointed so that you can understand them, all right? So first of all, the competition for our love results in one winner, the world or God. There's no shared prize here. So the competition for our love results in one winner. We cannot give our love to the world and our love to God at the same time. If you try to live like that, you will live divided. You will have conflict. Some of you right now are living with a lack of peace in your heart. And the reason is because you're trying to love God and at the same time unwilling to reject worldliness. You cannot love God and the world. In fact, James chapter 4 verse 4 says, friendship with the world is hatred toward God. So this competition for our love results in one winner, the world or God. Second idea, we must strive to love God, meaning that we choose daily to do God's will. So in some mysterious way, we have a choice to make. We have to choose whether or not we're going to love God or love people. We know that the Bible reveals that we're dead in our sin, and God, by his mercy and grace, rescues us, raising us to new life in Christ. But even in that mysterious exchange where God pursues us, rescues us, raises us up in Christ, there is a choice that we have to make, that you get to make, and you love making choices. It's kind of the American way. We like independence. We like making choices. We like having the options to do what we want to do. In fact, if I was wanting to make you really mad, I would try to rule over you in a way that you were no longer able to make choices with your life. That would be suffocating to you. I know this about you, many of you. So you get to choose. Are you going to love God or are you going to love worldliness? If you're willing to love God, there's a nature of that. There's a way of that where you're striving to love God. Now this verse, very important, it's a command. Something you are commanded to. To do So in other words, you have to choose to grab the trophy that is what God has won for you in Christ. That's you choosing to love God. You get to choose to grab that trophy of victory that says that you, the love, your love has been won by God. So any basketball fans out there, raise your hand if you like basketball. Four of you. Okay. So, um, so I love basketball. I love college basketball. One of the greatest coaches ever was a man by the name of John Wooden. He was a coach for US, UCLA Bruins. And uh, during a 12-year period from 1963 to 75, his t- team won 10 national cha- championships. And uh, he is a legend as a leader, as a coach, as a man. And one time he was talking to his audience, and I thought this was interesting and, and relevant for this point to be made. Um, and he said that you, he, here's what he says to an audience of coaches. He says, you cannot find a player, whoever's played for me at UCLA, that can tell you that he has ever heard me mentioning winning at a basketball game. The last thing I told my players just prior to tip-off, imagine the scenario just prior to tip-off of all these games, many of them led to basketball championships. Here's what he said. When the game is over... I want your head up, and I I know of only one way for your head to be up. That's for you to know that you did your best. No one can do more, that you made that effort. And so when we think about 
striving to love God or choosing to love God, it's really not about whether or not there will be victory because the victory is not secured by you. It's secured by God through Jesus Christ. The victory is yours in Christ. But really, what you want to do is live in such a way where you're striving to love God more and more and more, to obey God more fully every single day of your life. You must strive to love God, meaning choose daily, so that it's not as much about choosing whether or not you're going to win because God is one in Christ, but it's about striving to love God in the same way that John, that Coach, or Coach Wooden, encouraged his players. A, a third point. Y'all with me? If we choose to love the world, we choose to love things that are not from the Father. So you can choose to love the world. I mean, that's like, you go for it. If you choose to love the world, we choose to love things that are not from the Father. In fact, most people will choose to live this way. I mean, let's just be honest. This is the easier path, the path of least resistance. The current of our culture is that people will choose to love the world. In fact, if you choose another way, you will be seen as an alien, as a stranger, which is okay, because the Bible says that we are aliens. We are strangers. This is not our home. But if you choose to love the world, you will choose to love things that are not from the Father. John lists three three of them. Desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is the choice of people that choose worldliness rather than rejecting worldliness. Well, what in the world are these three things? Desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, pride of life. Frankly, it's kind of hard to get at exactly what he's talking about. I've spent quite a bit of time studying. But desires of the flesh would be something like sexual cravings uh, or hostility towards God. So the things that your body longs for that exclude God. Now, sexual cravings that would lead you to sinning against God. There are some sexual cravings that are very good, and we believe that you should go for it. But the kind of sexual cravings that lead you to disobey God and to explore or to live out your sexuality in a way that is not the way God intended it to be. That would be a desire of the flesh. So if you choose to live like that, then you're choosing to love the world and not love God. Desires of the eyes. So whatever you look at that attracts you, that you tend to pursue or to enjoy in a way that what really happens is it becomes... Placed on the throne of your life, you think about it, you compulse about it, you give your time, your energy, your resources to it over and against or over and above God, this would be like a desire of the eyes. You can choose to worship something other than God, but what you're doing is you're rejecting God and you're loving worldliness. How about the pride of life? Well, the pride of life is is this posture that is kind of like we're boasting in worldly things. What we're most concerned with is the perception that we have it all together, that our accumulation of things, our intellect, the way we think and feel about things is really good enough for us to achieve and to be good and to, to, uh, for other people, other people really should, in fact, um, look to us. The pride of life, being prideful, focusing on yourself over and against or above other people and other things and ultimately God. So if you live like that, fill in the blank, whatever the Spirit is bringing to your mind, if you choose to love those things, then you are in fact hating God. Now, here, as I use 
the idea of striving, what I am aware of, I've been in ministry for a long time, and I have spent lots of time with lots of people, and here's what I'm fully aware of. Not everyone is wired in such a way that when I say striving, that that really gets you really excited. Some, some of you are more laid back in your wiring. You're not type A people. Now, the type A in here are like right now, like, oh, yeah, competition, striving, let's do this. You know, like you're sweating even more, you know, let's do this. But there are some of you that are thinking to yourself, like, the idea of striving for anything isn't all that appealing. <laughs> well, you have to be aware of that. If that's your wiring, you have to be aware of that because you are in the same way that that type A kind of person is more naturally inclined to strive in their love for God and strive to obey God and strive to live for God, you are still responsible for your life before God. And you say, well, what do I do? That's a good question. Thank you for asking. In his book, The Winner's Mind, this is not a book about Christianity by a Christian, but this is about a guy who studied winning. This man by the name of Alan Fox instructs this. For those of you that aren't type A kinds of people that enjoy the challenge or are excited by a challenge to strive in your love for God, here's what you do. It says, simple, watch the naturally competitive people and do what they do. Like, for instance, become extremely sensitive to actions that succeed and fail adjusting your behaviors accordingly. Now, let me explain this. This is how this translates to what we're talking about. If in your Christian walk you find yourself stumbling into a love of the world, rather than just letting it happen, take notice of people around you who seem to be loving God and do what they do. If you find yourself stumbling into a love of the world, there has to be some adjustment in your behavior. And maybe you're not wired in a way where you're really motivated to do that. If you're not motivated to do it, then take responsibility for your spiritual life. And this is one of the reasons that being in Christian community is so important. We committed to one another, walking together. Because what you will get to see is people around you who are maybe more disciplined in opening God's word and reading it. Maybe more wise in where they spend their time and energy. And you may not be inclined to strive in the same way that they are, but if their behaviors are leading to their successfully living a life that obeys God, then you can emulate some of that. This is one of the beautiful things about Christian community. The Apostle Paul said to a group of people that were looking to him as they were struggling in their faith, is they said to them in Corinthians, watch me as I follow Christ. And certainly Apostle Paul was a type A, high D kind of a wiring. We are in the world, for those of you that are believers, but we're not to be of the world. Also, fourth idea, we choose to love God, not the world, because investing our love in God will not be wasted. And this is important, because sometimes people hear 
the Bible saying things like we'll love God and reject worldliness. And here's kind of a list of things that describe the kind of people that love worldliness. And we feel like it's rules just for the sake of rules. And some of you, because you are wired in a way that you tend to rebel against establishment and against kind of rule-oriented things, may hear this and go, oh, I don't want this kind of fellowship of God. I don't want to follow Jesus in this way because there's too many rules. Well, here's the thing about rules. We believe that there are rules in the Bible and boundaries because without boundaries, there's no freedom. And ultimately what God has done is sent Jesus Christ who died on the cross, was raised from the dead so that we can live in the freedom that God provides through Jesus Christ because of his love. And so one reason that in the Bible there are boundaries, there's rules like um, are revealed here that describe people that choose worldliness is because God really ultimately wants us to live in freedom. So we choose to love God, not the world, because investing our love in God will not be wasted. John says in 1 John, the world is passing away along with its desires. So if you choose to invest your life in sexual promiscuity, if you choose to invest your life in the accumulation of things, and that is your God, if you choose to invest in your life in drunkenness, and that is your God, it will be wasted. However, if you choose to strive for the love of God, rejecting worldliness as the trajectory of your life, that will not be wasted. And you will get to experience a kind of life that will be defined in this way, a better life. It's your choice. You get to choose. And something that's really important as I begin to draw this to a close is that our choice affects others in the Christian community. This is the thing that is, in terms of how we do church, I think the most pressing issue today. Because we're so highly individualistic as a people, and you all tend to be at an age where you're highly individualistic and you think that when you make choices, it only has an effect on you. In the Christian community, the reality is that the choices we make, whether or not we're going to love, choose to love God or and choose to, or choose to reject worldliness, whatever that looks like, it affects other people. It does. When I'm tempted to spend my, my, my money in a way that is, that is out of bounds, if I choose to do that, then it not only affects me, it affects my wife, my four kids, it affects our church. If you choose to, in an ongoing kind of a way, live sexually promiscuous lives, then you say, well, it's not hurting anybody but me. Well, absolutely it is. Because you're in community, it hurts other people too. We choose to love God and reject worldliness, understanding that we are part of something that God wants to do in the world to shine the light and love of Christ to people that are far from him. Are you with me? 
Can I get an amen up in this place? I'm preaching. I'm sweating up here, people. So we want to be the kind of people that walk in the light. As some of you are here, and you say, that sounds okay. The reality is that you've never understood that the times in your life where you've embraced and loved worldliness rather than rejecting it, reveals that you cannot live perfectly before God. And God knows that. So God became flesh in the form of a man. His name is Jesus. He lived the perfect, sinless life to satisfy the righteous requirement of the law. Then he died on a cross. And in in a mysterious exchange, our sin goes to him through faith, and his righteousness comes to us. And then he was raised from the dead, and his resurrection from the dead gives us the hope of a new life in Christ. This is the gospel message. And so if you are not concerned about whether or not your life uh, loves God or rejects worldliness, then it may be, in fact, that you have never really entered into a relationship with God Almighty. And what I would say to you is turn away from your sin, turn towards Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, and in that will begin a new life, the kind of life that you were created to live. There is a competition in this world for your love. But the good news is that you're not alone. You're not the strongest competitor on your team. In fact, in Christ, you have God as the captain of your team. It's kind of cheesy, but just stick with me here. God is the captain of your team and is so good, he's already won the victory in Christ. Though that there is a competition in this world for your love, you can know that choosing to love God is your part in taking the trophy that's already been secured for you in Christ. Grab the trophy. If you do, you will live the kind of life that when you're old and gray and then you've passed on from this life, people will remember what it was like for you to live the better life, loving God and rejecting worldliness. I want to end with this illustration about a hero of mine. On Monday of this week, Elizabeth Elliot died at 88 years old. Raise your hand if you recognize the name Elizabeth Elliot. Story of her life and obvious love for God has impacted modern Christianity far more than most people who have lived in the last 50 years. She spent most of her life living in Ecuador, which our church has a real soft spot in its heart for Ecuador, as we, many families in our church, sponsor children through Compassion International in Ecuador. So she, long before we began doing this, she lived in Ecuador, and she lived among this tribe that was isolated in the rainforest of eastern Ecuador, called the Huaca Indians. And Huaca is a word translated into savages. This was a feared tribe. Many people knew them to be murderers and willing to do anything to preserve their tribe and not allow people in. This woman, Elizabeth Elliot, loved God. And in 
a season of her life where rather than loving God, she could have loved the world and chased after the things many of her peers were chasing after her. She chose to love God and reject worldliness, and God brought her on an adventure. She went to this village in Ecuador, and she shared with them the love of God, showing them the love of Christ in word and deed. She ministered to, with them, or to them, and she remained in their settlement. She lived among them in the foothills of the Andes. She ate monkey limbs and other local fare to become one of them. She lived in these rain-swept huts. Well, eventually, the entire tribe received the message of the gospel, which is for people that are separated from God from their sin, they can be reconciled to God through faith in Christ who died on the the cross and was raised from the dead to give us a hope of a better life. Well, what's so remarkable about this woman and her ministry among this people group is that something happened two years before she arrived there that is mind-boggling. You see, two years before she came and lived among these savages, her husband, Jim Elliott, was sent by God with a few other men to share Christ in word and deed with this feared tribe. So they land in this area where this tribe is, and... At first, the exchange was cordial between Jim Elliot and these tribesmen. But for whatever reason, the tribesmen perceived them to be a threat. The missionaries back home lost contact with Jim Elliot and his team. And then later, they sent out a search crew and they found them speared to death, murdered by these savages. I tell you this story. For this reason, when you choose to love God, God will use you for things that will be far more than anything that you can ask or imagine. For some of you, you have consigned to the idea that if I just have enough money where I can drive a decent car and afford to support a nice spouse, live in a decent house and raise kids that are moral and have a good education and I can enjoy their grandchildren. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But what I'm saying to you is that when God sent Jesus Christ to, into the world to die on a cross, he had in mind your life. And it was meant for something far greater than casually loving him and casually loving the world so that you can just get by and then in the end of your life die. But instead, when we choose to love God, God uses us for something that is great and worth living for. I hope and pray that we will be the kind of people that choose to love God and in every way we possibly can, with the help of brothers and sisters in Christ, we choose to reject worldliness. And when we do, for whatever reason, because we're still incomplete and imperfect, choose to accept worldliness that will be humble and willing to repent of it and to grow out of it by the grace of God and mercy of God. I pray we'll be this kind of people because ultimately what God will do is use this to reach the world for his glory and for the fame of Jesus Christ.